Wednesdays are Sunday at Carvel. Wednesdays market call here at 1 p.m. Eastern time. I'm Guy Adami. I'm joined by Dan Nathan. You know Wednesdays are nuts. Just a few minutes. Carter Braxton worth of worth charting and Tom Sazanov, founder and CEO of Tasty Trade. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics, Dan, that are powered by tomorrow. Tasty Trade. Empowering the individual investor through content, technology, and almost more important, know-how. We are powered by our production partners, Open Exchange. I'm powered by the fact that although the Rangers lost in a shootout last night to the Stanley Cup champ, Colorado Avalanche, they played well. Defensive zone coverage was very good. Uh, I was impressed. Of course, Alexander Georgiev in Nets for Colorado was thrilled that he was able to beat his former squad at Madison Square Garden. Back to you, Dan. Back to me. You didn't even get to me, guy. You just did your oh, WFAN. Over to, over to you, Dan. Over to me. Um, thanks a lot for that. I mean, listen, you know, really interesting day in the market. You and you and I, obviously, we previewed, you know, the um, earnings that were came after the bell last night, Microsoft and Google last night. And, you know, the, the, the focus on Microsoft was really whether or not we were going to see some sort of deceleration in those enter, those businesses that obviously are very focused on enterprise spending. We know that PC demand has been weak due to the uh, pull forward. We're hearing that from all sorts of companies that kind of touch that space or so. But last night was really interesting, guy. We were on Fast Money, okay, at five o'clock. All this news was coming out. It was Google, right? So, you know, cloud weakness or relative weakness, deceleration um, and ad spending. I mean, the, the misses across the board there were really fairly telling. Mm -hmm. And then Microsoft, just a lot of businesses that obviously touch um, other businesses, right? And so that was interesting. And then Texas Instruments, we talked about it on Market Call yesterday. We thought on a relative basis to some of those more PC-centric semiconductors, maybe they show relative strength because the stock has shown relative strength. If you take all three of those across the board, it does not paint a pretty picture for tech stocks. But guy, why the heck were we looking at an S&P that was, well, it is up on the day as we're talking right now, was up more, made no sense with Google down 7%, Microsoft down 6.5%, and Texas Instruments down 2.5%. Yeah, 100%. And you know, we obviously been talking about it all day, the fact that the, obviously the Dow's reversed the way it has, but yeah. more importantly, the S&P, uh, I think negative now, but it went pretty, uh, you know, went positive pretty quickly today. So the answer to that, I think it's twofold. You're still having relative strength. And again, I know it's not a big component of these things, but look at aerospace defense. Look at big cap pharma. I mean, their names in those spaces that are, forget 52-week highs, making all-time yeah. highs. Then you layer in some of these energy names and you're starting to see potentially where it could be coming from. On top of that, uh, I think there is some indication or some hope that central banks, specifically our Federal Reserve, something you've pointed out for a while, uh, might be ratcheting things back in a little while. And I think the market yeah. is trying to front run that, coupled with the fact that, as we said a week and a half ago, the setup for the market <clears throat> was eerily reminiscent of what we saw back in June of this year. So you add all yeah. those three things together, and although it might not make sense, it actually makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm not trying to be glib yeah. here. I mean, today's market action makes sense. You wonder where things would be but for 
Go ahead, say it, Dan. Microsoft. Well, you know what a but for is. Exactly. And now we'll tell for you. Sitting. I for said it sitting. on the show last night. I was shocked that Texas Instruments wasn't lower than it was because I thought that quarter was a disaster. But to your point about showing relative strength, that thing has climbed almost all the way back. So a lot of cross currents. I think, again, you can't discount a company the size of Microsoft and Google saying the things they said and yeah. somehow think we're out of the woods. We're not. Well, you know what's different to me, Guy, than the setup after Q2 earnings? in late July as the S&P was already obviously rallying for a few weeks at that point. And it was largely predicated on the fact that, um, you know, the, that maybe things weren't as bad as expected um, and that maybe the Fed is going to kind of slow the pace of rate hikes. Well, what's different now to me is that these companies coming out and, and having the quarters they did and issuing the guidance and the lack of visibility is that these are not one quarter events now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tweeted this last night when we were on Fast Money because you and I have been talking about this all year long on Market Call and on our podcast on the tape with Danny Moses is like, until estimates start coming down meaningfully for S&P right, earnings, and until we have analysts kind of throw in the towel here, look at this, man. And Amanda will put this in the show, uh, the show notes. Microsoft, as of last night, this is per fact set, had 52 buy ratings, six holds, and no sells. Google had 48 buy ratings, four holds, and no sells. Amazon, a stock that had been cut in half at one point just you know this this summer right 55 buys two holds only one sell and i guess the good news for apple is that it had 37 buy ratings 10 holds and two sells so some analysts had kind of moved to the sideline here but still disproportionately bullish now i get it who cares what sell side analysts have to say they help shape sentiment and that's just a matter of fact here so until we start getting them downgrading these stocks that's probably how these stocks will likely bottom over the next three yeah. six months or so now look you're right and and i'm sure a lot of them are going to look at each other and say how can we downgrade microsoft here Again, given where it was, given how much it sold off, um, and how can we do it at this point? And, you know, it's like we talk about capitulation all the time in individual stocks and volume sort of signifying capitulation. And you're talking about it through the lens of analysts. And the same thing happens with them. I mean, at a certain point, they're forced to capitulate as well. Sometimes it's on the upside. Uh, when you effectively a name like Netflix, for example, when you were negative on the stock literally for a few hundred percent, at a certain point, you have to acquiesce and give and throw in the towel. And the same thing happens on the downside. And I think we're on the verge of seeing that. Microsoft quarter was not good. The Google quarter, by the way, was worse. I mean, they missed on just about every metric um, imaginable. And again, I'm surprised it's not lower. Now, people will start to talk about valuation. Yeah, I get it. And people at some point will talk about valuation in terms of Microsoft. But we're not there yet. And that's a point we've made consistently uh, for quite some time. Matter of fact. All right. Let's bring him in. The man. Oh, no way. The legend. Carter Braxton Worth, our dear friend from Worth Charting. Hey, Carter, how are you? Good. Good. All, right. Yes. All right. Help us make some sense of what we just talked about on a day that, again, Google down seven and almost a half percent and Microsoft down almost six and a half percent. How we can have an S&P that's unchanged here. Obviously, the Nasdaq's down, you know, one and a half percent of those. Those are two massive components of the Nasdaq 100. But it just seems like there are games investors are willing to play right now. It feels like picking up. What do they say that pennies off of, uh, you know, railroad tracks mm. because we got Apple and 
Amazon on Thursday, um, it just seemed very odd to me that the markets were unched at some point today, given the way those two stocks acted. And more importantly, the guidance that they gave finally kind of just, you know, coming to a certain level of skepticism or acknowledging the lack of visibility and the deceleration that they are having right now in their core businesses. Right. It, it turns out that obviously the tape is reflecting uh, sentiment regarding macro rather yeah. than uh, individual company results, which is to say, of course, it's the it's the drop in the dollar. It's the moving yields from four and a half percent on the 10 year to four. It's the Japanese yen bouncing and all of those things that are, are giving some boost because it's the equal and opposite thing to the S&P 500. Um, and if one were a tape reader, and that's what essentially we all are, you could say it's not even starting with today. It's yesterday. For Chinese stocks to drop like mm-hmm. that, and yet equities in the U.S. were up, um, that that sentiment is changing. I think it it's just a, a data point, a temporary thing, because we know you can always get a bounce in any given day or week. We know that a market can shake off news like, frankly, Apple, I mean, Google and Microsoft being weak. Um, but at the end of the day, the way this should end, if you can use the word should in this business, is not rates lower, dollar lower, and therefore stocks higher, but rates lower, dollar lower, and stocks lower. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Carter, walk us through the SPX chart. Because two weeks ago on Worth Charting, you had a really interesting one. It was kind of this uptrend that we had seen um, and then this downtrend that we had seen over the last, you know, call it, you know, the move into the summer and then the highs in August a little bit. And this one, you're kind of backing out a little bit. and You're showing that downtrend that's been in place from the January highs here. Talk to us a little bit about, um, again, when you have major components like this acting this way, and then we have the potential for two other major components. And again, they could cancel each other out. I think it has more to do with what they have to say than probably, um, you know, how the stocks react is going to be the course of the next five to 10% of the S&P 500. But what's the charts telling you right now in the S&P 500? Right. Well, one thing, of course, is just how precise all those lines are and how the market, the index, the S&P 500 has adhered to those lines. And while we've broken below the June low, we're now back above it. So the question is, if you were to accept these lines as converging trend lines and you see there and then the vertical line, which is the year end, we're down to about 44 sessions till the end of the year. And I think even if you're bullish, you can see that we're probably capped at that downward sloping sort of um, aqua trend line. And if you're bearish, we're going to stay stuck in here at the bottom of this range or go lower still. But I, I think that it's not a particularly good risk-reward environment. Sure, we're bouncing, um, but I wouldn't read much into it. Yeah, time decay suggests, as uh, with each passing day, that downtrend line, the levels get lower and lower. You you basically showed us where 2023 starts, and that lines up effectively with 4,000. You know, I thought there's a chance we get there prior to that. I mean, we'll see, again, how it shakes out. And this, again, one of these counter trend rallies in a bear market, again, that we saw in June into August, and we're seeing something similar now. Am I looking at this correctly, or do you think we exhaust ourselves before that? Yeah, so, and, and you can see that each of those blue arrows is actually a touch point, except the last one, I put it in there saying, you know, could we get up there? I don't think it can manage that. Um uh, but hey, you know, people certainly do want and believe in year-end rallies. And mm-hmm. generally speaking, remember, 98% of all capital is long only. 
and basically people are built to be bullish and markets are yeah. built well, it's pretty fascinating when you think about what we have on Thursday, right? And so let's just say hypothetically, we were to have Amazon and Apple give um, similar sort of negative guidance that we got last night from Microsoft and Google, then quickly all eyes would be on the Fed's meeting next week, right? And so the expectation would be some sort of at least pause, you know, maybe the December expectations are at 50 basis point for a hike there, but maybe the, the talk is a little bit more dovish. That would be the thing that maybe you could rally out of. But at the end of the day, if you start focusing on what 2023 S&P earnings look like, we haven't had enough strategists bring them down enough. We had Merrill Lynch, I think Bank America, go to about $200, that right guy, a couple of weeks ago. And again, if you want to put, we did this exercise. You think the S&P troughs at 14 times, 14 times 200, you got a ways to go to the downside. So I think we're all in the same camp. Continue to sell rallies. For Dan, for fun, if we were to talk about the Fed night, they're watching the tape, too. They'll say they're not, but they're staring at the S&P. They know damn well they are. Um, what if instead of bouncing 10% over the last three weeks, we were down another 10%? Mm-hmm. That would get their attention. We've had a major bounce. We're up 10 11% from the October 13 low. Let's say we just continue down another uh, 10 Then the they But this bounce actually enables them the part of them that are watching the SP to actually stay the course. That's right. Yeah, no, I, I was just like, listen, you know, that brings us kind of to the mac- macro, right, Guy? And, and again, you know, we've been tracking, um, you know, yields and, and that move above 4% in the 10-year felt pretty violent. And now here we are, we're kind of coming back um, a little bit to that bound. And, you know, we've been talking about the dollar. Um, you know, there's been some crazy moves in the yen and the pound and, you know, that sort of thing. And Carter, you had a note yesterday. I mean, literally, the macro really is, um, dominating, I think, a lot. I mean, we're in earnings season right now. So um, again, we're going to have stocks trading off of it, but it really was yield. It really was the dollar that was dictating a lot of the action. And you had this note out yesterday and we're charting that I thought was really interesting. It was basically all the same trade. Walk us through this because I think this is going to be really important once we get to the other side of S&P 500 earnings. So, right, this was a, a summary of recent reports, reports on yields on the yen, on the dollar. And it was trying to make the point, make the case that it's all the same trade. Mm-hmm. And indeed it is. And if we have charts here, and I think we do, we'll, uh, we can look at them. But what we know is that each of those instruments have uh, gone to levels where on a chart, they were likely to pivot reverse and indeed each has rates, yen and dollar. Well, here, okay, here's the, Here's the chart of U.S. yields, and the arrows are meant to help the eye. But the point is, where have rates started to back off from four, uh, four and a half? Right at that trend line. Mm-hmm. Now, just sort of keep that in one's mind's eye and, and then look at, for instance, the next thing, which is um, the yen, I believe, or the dollar. It's all the same trade. And then the yen, we can go back and forth, but if you look at the yen, it's the same thing, meaning we all have to respect our levels, respect our trend lines, and try to figure out where we are in relation to where we've been, and then make judgments, of course, about where we're headed. And the judgment uh, made um, when each of these was at its trend line was that it's right to take action. So it's right to buy the end. That's working. It's right to buy treasuries, i.e. yields to come down. That's working. And indeed, it's right to sell the dollar. 
Let's go um, to that U.S. dollar chart real quick, Carter, because you know we talked about this in June, I think, or maybe late June, early July, and you talked about the potential for, listen, the trend was higher in the dollar. That proved to be correct. But you also said we're at an inflection point where you could probably see a back and fill. That's exactly what happened in August. And to your point, if you want to see history repeating itself, look at what happened in June into August, the dollar going lower. That coincided with, obviously, the S&P going up 18%. So it all does line up. You're exactly right when you point that out. And I think we're at the same type of situation now. I would submit, Dan, correctly or incorrectly, that the trend hasn't broken at all. The trend in the dollar is still lower left, upper right, which just happened to be a point where it's doing a back and fill. And that back and fill will lead to or be in correlation with yields going lower and the S&P going higher. And it all makes sense, but does not mean trend in any of those things, Dan, has been broken. Yeah, you know, and it's pretty fascinating, Guy. We were talking about this last night when you were looking at Microsoft's earnings, you were looking at the currency effect on those earnings. And again, they can, you know, they can release them um, for what they are, and then they can release them and what they would be with constant currency. That means without the currency mm-hmm. effect. But, you know, the dollar from when, you know, Microsoft last reported had a massive rally. It was up at 6 or 7%. Think about that. The U.S. dollar in a quarter since a company like Microsoft that it's hundreds of billions of dollars in sales, half of it or more overseas had that sort of rally. And you think about how difficult it is to manage a business in that sort of environment, right? When you have slowdowns in China, slowdowns in Europe. So again, Microsoft, perfectly fine company, uh, you know, probably executing pretty decently in a very tough environment. They can't help if demand's weaker because the global economy is weaker and they really can't. I mean, listen, some companies try to hedge the currency, but I guess the point when I think about the dollar is might we be 5% lower when the companies are reporting their Q4 results? You know what I mean? And so this is going to be with us. And this is one of the reasons why we keep harping on the dollar. I look at that UUP. I see that uptrend that gets me to about 29. We've been talking about the trade that I put on um, a week ago, when it was above 30, I was looking at December expiration and the 30 puts. I think I paid about 50 cents for those. I like risk rewards like that. The vol looked really cheap to me. And based on Carter's technicals, um, I thought the chance for a check back like he had into the summer made a lot of sense to me. Let's let's talk about yields, though, Carter, because, again, you heard us just talk about that kind of blow off in the 10 year up to four and a quarter thoughts there, because this is one that I really think if we were to see come back, you know, towards the lower bound of your uptrend, I think you probably have a snare guy. You might dif- dif- disagree here, but, you know, guy thinks it's negative for equities one way or another. Right. I mean, because at that point, it might be a reflection of expected growth, not as much with the Fed's direction on rate hikes. Uh, yeah, well, let's talk about the right. But to, to, to Guy's uh, thought there, I mean, I, I, let's say, let's take it this way. Let's say it's just 50-50. Nobody knows, and its rates are higher, rates are low. Here's the thing about that. Neither one is good. If rates just keep going higher and higher and higher, and they keep tightening and tightening and tightening, there is no way that that is good for equities, and history bears this out. By contradistinction, let's say rates, which are now pulling in, start sinking to 3.7, 3.5, mm-hmm. 3.2. Why would that be happening unless there's something really wrong? So I, I think it doesn't really matter here. Rates lower, it means something's wrong, equities go lower. Rates higher, it definitely means equities go lower. I just don't think it's a good setup. But the conventional wisdom now is, oh, come on, if rates go lower, then we can play around with our multiples again. We'll give Microsoft the 32 <laughs> instead of a 28. This is a game. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's exactly right, Carter. And I, th- I think we're looking at this exactly the same way. And I understand that if rates were start to come in in a meaningful way, the knee-jerk reaction in equities is going to be higher until people realize that, you know what, you're still seeing slowdowns, significant slowdowns in earnings. I mean, again, the Google quarter was miserable. The Microsoft quarter was not good. As a matter of fact, it mirrored last quarter which was not particularly good. So now they're two quarters in a row. And to Dan's earlier point, almost at the top of the show, these things don't rectify themselves in the course of a quarter. It takes time for this to play out. So I know everybody's going to get hyped up and everything's great and you know all that rhetoric, and you're going to hear it on the networks for sure. They'll try it out people that will tell you how bullish this backdrop is. In the short term, understood. In the long term, no bueno. Yeah, no, and, and also interesting yesterday in that rally when rates were coming in, we saw um, a bunch of stocks that have been really hard hit that were just rallying, you know, t- 10% or something like that. This looked like massive outliers here. Carter, you brought three charts here, bearish to bullish reversals. Talk to us about these names again. And, you know, you know, we all seem a bit bearish here in general on the macro Um is it kind of safe to dip your toe in the water in some of these names um, that have been beaten up, but you're starting to see them pick their heads up a little bit? Yeah, I mean, look, there's always a circumstance to buy or circumstance to sell independent of, of the market backdrop. And so what the hope was here is to try to single out among many, and there are a lot of stocks that are doing this, stocks whose day-to-day price action, week-over-week price action, is characterized as reversing from bear to bull, bearish to bullish reversal buys. And so look at uh, Roblox. What do we know? Well, the first thing we know is when did it bottom? It bottomed in May. The stock market bottomed October 13th. So it's been bottoming earlier. We also know that it was down a lot more. So we have the bearish component in effect, 140 to 20. So bearish, yes. And now reversing from bearish to bullish. It's up and it's uh, it's up higher than its August high. The stock market is nowhere near its August high. Uh, that's definitional. Uh, the word developmental comes to mind. Uh, we yeah, have others. Uh, let's go see. ahead. I was just yeah. say quickly, I look at that and I'll, I'll put toast in there as well. I mean, flattening moving averages, starting to trade higher. To your point, Carter, doesn't mean that these things are fixed, but the chart certainly looks like. Anyway, please continue. And exactly that. So think about the it's it's something that was exceedingly bearish. That's the precondition for reversal, bearish to bullish reversal is bearishness. 70 to 12. And you're talking about wipes wipeouts. And then instead of ending up 12, 10, 4, 0, Enron, WorldCom, Eastman, Kodak, they start to turn. They base, they develop, they bottom. And what do we know now? It's at its August high. Again, the the August high, the S&P is nowhere near its August high. That's the definition of relative strength. The word developmental comes to mind. And then I think we have one more. Uh, Was it? I'll forget, but it's on here. Toast. Toast. Oh, yeah. Did we change it? Well, there it is. Yeah. Oh, no. It's it's Robin Hood. So another one. Beating this bottomed in June. Was it bearish? Oh, yeah, it was bearish. 50 to 6. And now basing, bottoming. Do all bearish to bullish reversals end up being great winners that are 10 baggers? No. But if you do it as a process, hundreds of them, let me just say it this way. If you took these three stocks, if you had 100 stocks like this, 1940, 1980, 2080, when we're all dead. Oh, here I got this. Do you play them? Yes. They're bearish to bullish reversals. 
Look, and Dan, to a certain extent, you're seeing it with your Alibaba. I mean, we we brought up, uh, not, excuse me, with your Snap, we brought up Alibaba yeah. a week or so ago. We talked about capitulation to the downside and how, although this company's not fixed, you've had multiple opportunities to buy this stock and see a 30 to 50% yeah. bounce. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. I mean, it's important to point out that the ills of Robinhood have not been fixed by any stretch of the imagination. But Dan, this is a stock yeah. that can continue to grind higher here. I, I think a better example, guys, is that you and Carter were on the same trade with Netflix. This yep. was the same setup, Carter, that you identified last week on Market Call on Netflix that the, the lows were in, you know, in the spring and the relative strength relative, you know, to the market and many of its peers was the thing that kind of caused the gap fill guy that you thought that the fundamental news, okay, was going to be better than expected there. And that was one of the reasons why I think the stock flatlined, you know, for the better part of the summer into the fall. And you were were able once you got a good piece of news to fill in that gap. So to me, I think that's probably sets up um, pretty similarly. Well, listen, Carter Braxton Worth, that was some heavy lifting there. We really appreciate it, man. Always a pleasure. Uh, you guys are great. Thank you. Check out Worth Charting. If you're not on it, I don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> Old fashioned technical analysis, nothing slick, just charts. And I know you all follow Carter on Twitter, so I don't even tell you to do that. Carter, thanks. Tom Sosnoff joins us from Tasty Trade. Tom, how are you? I will tell you the conversation we had last week, we talked about potentially that dollar trade that you were looking at, the rates trade that you were looking at. I mean, seemingly it's all coming to fruition. I don't think by any stretch you're going to say this is over or you anticipate. You know, things that we talked about last week are really manifesting themselves over the last couple of days. Talk to me quickly about the backdrop here and what you're looking at. Well, first of all, if you don't think I'm going to say it's over, then you don't know me that well, guys. Because uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm 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 all in or I'm I'm all out. I'm not a. Mm -hmm. um, I've been bullish on the. I mean, bearish, crazy bearish on the dollar, thinking it's the almost setting up as the trade of the decade right now, dollar and bonds. I mean, they've given us two days of relief here, but um, maybe three days in the bonds and, you know, two days in the dollar. But I do think they've made a really important bottom, both of them. And I um, and so I like the trade. I'm not saying they're going to go straight up or, or I'm not saying currency to go straight up or the bonds are going to go straight up. But I, I'd like it as a trade for, you know, next couple of months. I um, I think there's a lot of momentum and just coming off your last talk, you know, about Baba and Robin Hood. It's funny that you guys just mentioned those with Carter because those have been our two biggest longs mm -hmm. for completely different reasons, nothing technical or, or even fundamental for that reason, but just, you know, Robin Hood on the basis of, I, it just, I didn't make any sense to me why that stock was trading as cheap as it was trading given, you know, what I know about the brokerage industry. And then the other one is Baba, you know, I, I mean, you can, you can destroy something to, uh, I mean, to a, to a reasonable level that might be that on Monday's move, that might've been the cheapest, the cheapest stock on the board on a relative basis. So this bounce back of what is it now about almost 10 points off the lows from Monday. Um, doesn't surprise me. I think it's got a lot more to go to. Yeah. Well, percentage wise, it's a significant move. And, you know, what's interesting, Tom, and we brought this up. I looked. So we've been talking about Alibaba, obviously, since it became a publicly traded company, since I think Halloween of 2020 or so, when it was north of 300. Obviously, you see where the stock traded on Monday, to your point, that was a multi I think it was a five and a half year low just for context. But okay. 
over the course of those now two years or so, you've seen at least six, if not more, 35 to 50 percent bounces to the upside for a stock that's just been cratering. And my, you know, what I posited earlier this week and what I will say to you here, the amount of volume we saw that day suggested that you're going to have a window of opportunity to be long the stock for a similar move. So I'm with you on this one. The question to you is this. If this is one of your bigger positions on the long side, I mean, when do you say to yourself, right, this has exhausted itself again? Is there some metric you'll look at or is it just a question of, you know, it's been a great trade. I'm pulling the ripcord and I move on to something else. Um, well, there's a couple things to that. First of all, at this point, there is no way Alibaba can be a good trade for me. I mean, uh, and, and the reason I say that is because. I, I was in too early. I mean, I started selling mm -hmm. puts in Baba, I want to say probably in the, you know, between 110 and 120. And I mean, at the time, we we're probably selling, let's call them 105 and 100 puts, you know, mm -hmm. and pretty aggressively. So I can't, the best I can do is, you know, write a lot of calls against long stock here and hope we get back to even at some point, you know, three to six months from now. But there are certain plays where like you really like them. Like I, I did not like the U.S. market. I loved China because I thought it was oversold. But I got to the point where you know, it it reached such levels that the, all these Chinese stocks reached such levels that there is no way for you know unless you unless you were basically on the sidelines and and not paying attention at all. There is no way for those of us that were like China bulls just even for a short period of time, you know, to mm -hmm. really get back to even anytime soon. Other stocks, you know, like like a Robin, just as an example. That's a different story because we didn't start getting into that stock till the, you know, um, eight, nine, ten range. So, so our our basis is a lot lower. And then a stock like that, you know, I think if that stock gets back to like, let's call it the fifteen area, almost exactly what we're talking about, almost like the, the double, you know, close to it, um, from their lows. I think that becomes a really interesting, you know, potential exit spot, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen in that range. You know, for Robinhood, Baba, yeah. I'd love to see it get up into the 90s. It traded about 105 last time it bounced, 107. But um, I, I don't see that. You know, hey, hey so so Tom, I know you don't give a crap what <clears throat> other people are doing in the markets. I'll just say this is purely anecdotal. I was sure. with a friend of mine who has been in the markets for a very long time, and he's a brilliant short seller. And I know that he had a position on the short side in in Hood, probably right out of the gate from when it went public. And he said to me last week, "It is no longer a short, in my opinion." If he looks at book value, he looks at some of the things that you're probably just anecdotally the things that you know about the business. I just thought that was kind of interesting. And when you look at Carter's, I know, again, you're not focused on charts, but the relative strength that it has shown the first time you came on with us in the summer, I think you were talking about Robin Hood in, with a nine handle on it. So again, I thought that's really interesting. The other question I have for you on Alibaba. So I love your transparency. I know you talk about it on Tasty Trade. Talk about what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, when you're doing it, that sort of thing. And for you to come on here with some of our viewers who are maybe not as in tune with kind of the history of the trade, that makes really sense. I mean, Tom is managing, you are actively managing this trade between the put sales, the long stock, the call sales, all that sort of thing. And the likelihood of you turning into a big winner is not great. My question is, do you ever look at derivatives of that trade? Like, for instance, the thing that I did on the close on Monday was I bought calls in December expiration in the FXI, the ETF, the large cap iShares, you know it. Um, and 
the five largest components or five of the top seven are Alibaba at 8.5%, Tencent, Medawan, JD, a bunch of names that look really similar to Alibaba. Do you ever look to kind of transfer some of that trade thesis into an ETF like the FXI? So I have a couple points on this, Dan, which is, which, you know, you're, you're spot on in, in general terms, you're spot on. But the problem for me in the Alibaba, in the Alibaba vein is that I'm already long FXI mm -hmm. and PDD and JD and a bunch of other yeah. Chinese stocks. I made a bet about, I want to say about six or nine months ago, I made a bet that I thought given the levels that the Chinese market already sold off and given the levels of implied volatility in there, I liked the risk reward in China better than I liked the risk reward in the US at that time from the long side. So I made a pairs bet and obviously it didn't work, but that's why I'm kind of defending that trade. There are other stocks that, you know, like, like the brokerage stocks, just cause you know, mentioned it cause we own a brokerage firm. Um, what I didn't understand about Robinhood, I, I got the whole sell off and I got the whole, I, I really consider Robinhood to be a crypto stock. And so, um, you know, I would say 90% of their crypto business is gone. Uh, conservatively, 85% is, is a lot, probably over 90%. But there's no, there, when interest rates jump up by 500 basis points, I mean, brokerage firms, it's a gold mine for brokerage mm -hmm. firms. And I just didn't understand. It doesn't matter how much crypto business you lose. Um, when you get a 500 point basis point move and you're self-clearing like Robinhood is, I I just think the upside is just you know and given their cash position on top of it I just love the upside in there um, and I'm and I'm and they're a competitor you know I don't look at them and say wow I'm really excited about them I mean they're they're a competitor who who I you know who I I don't root for but from a stock position you know just from a as a trader I mean I think you have to like it just on the basis of interest rates and the fact that the the crypto winter so to speak or that whole crypto move. You know that's already built in. That was priced in on the down move from fifteen to seven, you know, to eight or nine, whatever you want to call it. I want to set something up for you, Tom. So indulge me for a second. Sure. You, you and Tony Batts talked about trading into an election. So obviously the midterms are coming up, but we all understand that. So that's number one. Now I'm going to give you some anecdotal stuff. Um, your your call in crude oil and Dan's call, thinking the crude would trade off. That's been spot on. The underlying commodity is clearly been under pressure. You guys both nailed that one. The side, the other side of that coin, ExxonMobil, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, all making effectively all-time highs. OIH has gone from the low 200s and approached 300 today. So these equities are telling a much different story. So this is how I look at it, and, and I'd love some pushback. I start connecting the dots and say, the underlying commodities will be under pressure until the midterms, post-midterms, all bets are off, and these equities are telling you exactly that. Am I looking at it correctly, or you look at it differently? Um, I mean, from your perspective, I think you're looking at it correctly. You know, I mean, I wouldn't touch any of these energy stocks here. I think they're... Um, it, it is normal to see a disconnect. In fact, you can there there are a lot of um, there are a lot of really interesting plays in the market. One of the things that that we talked about yesterday on on our network was that the crypto stocks. Just to give you an example, you know Coinbase and and Mara and Riot places like that. You had a ten to fifteen percent move yesterday on a five percent move in crypto. So if you're in the cash markets with no leverage. I mean, it made no sense. But if you were in the equity markets with leverage, you know, you got almost a three to one payout. And that kind of opportunity 
also we see it from time to time in the energy space and mm -hmm. you're kind of seeing it right now you're seeing um a really choppy market but you're seeing a market that's showing a lot more um skittishness and a lot more upside at least you know the velocity of the upside moves right now the magnitude of the upside moves is so much greater in the equities than it is in the you know in the commodities um and sometimes that does present an amazing opportunity like i wouldn't be I don't get anybody that wants to be long these energy stocks post, you know, for the next two weeks from now, I think it's a crazy trade. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're yeah. just going to try to squeeze out the last, you know, maybe earnings or whatever else it is in the next 10 days, that's something different. But I do not like those plays on the board of, of anything yeah, I, out there. I don't like those. I, I agree with that. Um, Tom, I don't know if you heard us earlier. I, I, I know you hopped on midway through the conversation with uh, Carter, but we were talking about a day like today, you know, right now, as I'm looking at Alphabet, Google is down nearly 8%. Yeah. Microsoft is down six and a half percent. These are massive, massive moves. Now, expected moves in the option markets were at least about four and a half percent in each of those. And so when you see this sort of price action today as a reaction to what we could all agree was bad quarters, bad guidance, okay, after the rallies that these two stocks had had into these prints, and then you look out to Thursday, and we have Apple, right? And then we have Amazon, and the implied moves in those, Amazon about seven and a half percent, stock on average has moved 12 and a half percent over the last three quarters apples implied move is about four and a half percent how do you sometimes think about the data that you've already received the reaction of it and how you're thinking about setting up into maybe apple or amazon or the nasdaq 100 or indexes in general does does this performance that we're seeing today have a big effect on you as you think about thursday after the close well it's not going to impact me the way i trade those stocks from the standpoint of I'm still going to do what I always do in earnings plays. What it what it did do the move today was it it made me think that the lows on the downside are in place because the tape action today, not in the Nasdaq of course, but with the Microsoft mm -hmm. and Google being down so much and Apple also being down, you know, a couple of handles say I I the Nasdaq's not going anywhere today. But the tape action in the S&Ps today made me think and that this market's a lot stronger than than I thought it was. If this was a month ago or six weeks ago, um, we'd have S&Ps down 80 today, especially after the 200-point rally we've had the last couple of days. I mean, they couldn't even hold down 20 handles today or, or down 40 handles from this morning. So I actually uh, think the market looks pretty good here considering what happened last night. And I think you have to take – maybe you have to just look, look over your shoulder and think about that when Apple comes out later this week. But – I, I again, there has been no rhyme or reason to like why is one stock you know have greater earnings, another stock have crap. Like I, I don't think any part of that's predictable. Um, what I do like though is the way the market held up today, considering. I mean, those are those are some pretty ugly. You know, I mean, Texas Instruments was ugly as well. There were some ugly mm -hmm. earnings plays last night, and this market held up. I mean, the Nasdaq didn't hold up, but the rest of the market. I mean, the Russell's up twenty handles, the the Dow's up you know eighty points, and these this is just after a huge sell off in the last hour of you know we turned around you know forty points in the S and P's. So, I think Dan, I look at this market here. I'm saying, you know what, it's a lot stronger than I thought it was going to be. You know, especially this week. I agree with that. And with something we've talked about, and we talked about it with Carter at the top, we've been talking about it here. I noticed something, and there's an old saying, so indulge me again quickly, that the harder I work, the luckier I get. And one of the things you and Tony talked about was, you know, is this all this trading stuff just luck? And listen, 
obviously in everything in life, there's an element of luck involved without question. But I think what you would submit is when you narrow the playing field to the extent you're able to do with your community and the work that you do, yeah, luck's a part of it, but it's clearly uh, not the underlying theme. Can you speak to that? Because a lot of people say, ah, oh, this trading shit, it's just all luck. Um, there is a big part of trading that is random. I hate the term luck because I don't think anytime you take risk, like you're doing it, you know, you know, we're not playing war or something, you know, we're not, you know, we're not just, we're not just flipping coins, but there's, I think you have to appreciate the randomness and the efficiency in markets. And you have to recognize that the key to the reason that you're still around and I'm still around and Dan's still around and Tony's still around and everybody else that we know that's been doing this and trading, you know, I made 150 trades already today. The reason I've been doing it for this long and the reason that we're still around is we understand that the difference between success and failure is minuscule. Mm -hmm. And there is, there is a marginal you know, there, there are marginal mechanical things that you can do to, to be successful in the financial world. And the key to success more than anything else, especially in a random efficient marketplace, is just longevity. You have to be a survivor. And I think that a lot of people, you know, they have a, they have a tendency to mistake luck for kind of like a one hit wonder or a get rich quick type thing. Yeah, you can't do that. You're right. It's, it's not possible. But if you can find a way, whatever works for you to survive. And whether it's a style like Carter's, a style like yours, whatever it is, if you can find a way to create longevity for yourself, longevity is the key to success in anything. You know, I mean, and and so, so we take that, we accept the fact that there are marginal opportunity, marginal advantages to lots of opportunities, and they're mechanical. And then we apply that to just the fact that we know we're survivors. We know we can stay around and, and wait around and maybe we're waiting around till we're right. Maybe we're waiting around till the, the you know, we get up um, the percentages go in our favor, the pot odds go in our favor, whatever it is. But guy, I think that that is the, the difference. Is our markets random? Sure. Our markets, is there a lot of luck involved? Of course. But in the end, there's a reason why some people make it and some people don't. And it's an acceptance of those principles and acceptance of those things. Yeah. Listen, Tom, I, you, I could not have said it better. And it comes down to a certain extent, I think community comes down to process and it comes down to, to what you do extraordinarily well, risk reward and just the discipline involved with that. So Tom, obviously, thanks for joining us for sure. You got to check out Tasty Trade. It's a wonderful community. Check out Tom on Twitter, at Tasty Trade on Twitter. And again, the community that Tom has built, um, at tasty, I think it's extraordinary. That was, so, so that was brilliant, guy. I, I I loved hearing Tom talk like that because again, you know, it reminds me of that fine song from our friends at Pearl Jam, "Alive." You know, the stick man. You know, what I mean, yeah, I'm absolutely. still alive. It's like, you know, like like we talk about it all band. the time. We talk about it all the time, though, man. It's just like when he says you got to have a process, you got to have discipline, you got to have, you know, like that's really what it comes down to, especially when it comes to trading. And he is one of the most active traders that I've ever met in my years in the business that I've known him for a long time. You cannot do that stuff willy-nilly you need to have a process and he clearly does guy before we get out of here let's talk about facebook really quickly they're reporting after the close the stock is down 60 percent on the year we've talked about it a lot on market call here it's down in sympathy with the google um overnight down five percent which is you know a big move into its own print it's just a few percent off of those all-time lows 
thoughts here because you can look at the current estimates and you can say to yourself, the stock is cheap. It's basically trading at a peg of, of one. If you look at the out year, you know, low, low teens or something like that. But we know that there's a lot of people who are unhappy with their spending, you know, their push to the metaverse, all that sort of stuff here. And, you know, ad spending is going to decline. We know that direct response advertising, which they do a whole heck of a lot of, is declining in a recessionary environment here. And so, you know, I go back to the fact I almost I think I said this on Fast Money to Karen. the other night, I'd love to see one more gap in this thing, a real capitulation, kind of like we saw in Snap here. And then I think you have to close your eyes and buy it. I I just want to rip through the charts and then I want to get your whole take here. Here's a one year chart. You see what's going on here, guy. I mean, that's contending with this kind of levels. It's been banging around a little bit. If you go to the five year, you see it's at five year lows mm -hmm. and there's some support levels there. Go to the chart all the way back 10 years from when it went public in May of 2012 here. I mean, guy, that's kind of a key level there. Talk to me about the whole setup here into the print. I am not buying it here into it. I'm not going to buy it if it's up tomorrow but I'd love to buy it if it was down more than, let's say, 10 15%. Let's go to that previous chart because this tells the story for sure. I look at this and say, you know, it looks hauntingly familiar to Snap to me. And, you know, I think a lot of people thought that was your opportunity into earnings and it turned out to be, maybe it's going to turn out to be correct. I happen to think it will, but you obviously saw a 20% move to the downside. I mean, best case scenario for me here is the same exact thing happens. I can't, for the life of me, I can't believe this is going to be a good quarter, given what we've heard from so many other companies into yep. it. Number one, obviously, you pointed out the stock is down, what, 60 something percent from its all time high. Not that that means anything, but just something for context. And we're at levels we last saw, again, 2019 or so. So all those things line up. But I think if you want to trade this stock, you're hoping it's a disaster you're hoping you see an 8 to 10% move to the downside. And then you're hoping that you see a four and a half, five times normal volume day tomorrow. And then you load the boat vis-a-vis -vis calls or underlying stock because we will fill that gap on the upside at some point. It's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen in a month. But that's what you're looking for long term. So how do you trade this thing? Hope they it's a disaster, which it should be. Hope the stock trades like a disaster, which it should. And hope you see a five times uh, trading volume tomorrow, which you may. All right. You just nailed it. You know, tomorrow is going to be fun on Market Call. We're going to review what happened in Meta, but we're also going to preview um, Apple and Amazon. We went over time. We covered a lot of ground here. We really appreciate you sticking with us despite having some minor te technical difficulties here. But that's going to do it for today's Market Call. That's MRKT Call. Thanks to Tom Sosnoff. That was that was a lot of fun. Tom Sosnov from Tasty Trade, and of course Carter Braxton Worth uh, from Worth Charting, and thanks again to FactSet, okay, because they are our data partners every day of the week here on Market Call, and of course to today's sponsor, Tasty Trade. So, guy, we're going to be back tomorrow with who on Thursdays? Who joins us on Thursdays? Um, what do you say, Ly from Ly so from SoFi? That would be Liz Young, and we're going to have a huge Market Call tomorrow on Thursday. So, guy, thanks a lot for being here, bud. Uh -huh.